the subscribers on a sponsored email campaign have a relationship, a permission relationship with the brand that's sending them email. So they've opted in, they've accepted the terms and conditions, they're used to getting emails from them. Some of them might get an email two or three times a day, some might get an email once a week or once a month, but they're expecting it. So it's not a surprise when it shows up. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson, and today we're talking about email. Everybody's looking for ways to make it more effective, especially when it comes to lead generation, leveraging this channel strategically with others, just to make sure we're getting more open rates, more connections, more conversations. To tackle the topic today, we have with us Doug Morneau, best-selling author of Three Big Lies, The Real Truth About Renting Email Lists to Generate Targeted Leads and Sales, and host of the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast. Doug, thank you so much for taking time today and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Chad. I appreciate you inviting me on the show and looking forward to helping to serve your audience today. Excellent. So we always start with a question just a little off color to get you, get our audience to better understand who you are. And, uh, I'm on a kick right now. I don't know why I, I picked this up. I'm sure I picked it up at an event somewhere. Somebody asked me, kind of caught me off guard a little bit, but you know, everybody out there will know you as an author, as the podcast host, as the power consultant, uh, that kind of thing. But I'm curious what hobby or passion do you have outside of that that someone may be surprised to learn about? It's probably nothing that would surprise people who uh, follow me on social or see because I'm pretty, pretty vocal about what I do. Um, well, I'm a granddad. So not everyone knows about, you know, I've got two grandsons, but my wife and I are quite passionate about uh, health and fitness. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, CrossFit or just marathons or. Yeah, we did uh, six years of bodybuilding, like personal one-on-one training. Uh, you know, we, we were the old people who lived up the hill, uh, hanging out with a bunch of young, young people with spray tans. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we switched that up once they figured out there's no way I was interested in competing. And we moved to a CrossFit gym uh, about a year ago. And so we do CrossFit three days a week. And then we just started about six months ago, Olympic weightlifting. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I've, I have been a big CrossFit uh, proponent for a long time. I use a lot of those analogies in class, but I always have to ask, does anybody in here actually know what CrossFit is? Or do you, still do it? <laughs> you know, cause what we're starting, what we're doing now is we're giving you the PVC pipe so you can learn the movements to throw the weights around. We don't want you to hurt yourselves. That's right. <laughs> excellent. All right. So let's talk about email marketing. How did, how did we get here? How did you guys, I know when you were younger before the grandkids and the kids, I know you weren't sitting around thinking, Hey, when I grow up, I want to be the go-to person on email marketing. So how, how did we get here? Give us a little background. Well, it's, you know, I tell people, um, quite honestly, it sounds weird that I've written a book just about email that I'm tactic agnostic. So, you know, my superpower really is to help people solve their sales and marketing problems. And that's to look at all technologies and email just, uh, you know, as things progress, just kind of came into the mix. So we're doing lots of direct mail and lots of, you know, sort of direct response stuff. And, you know, there was lots of telephone work that was going on. And then as the industry evolved, we just look at, Hey, what are the new technologies? We go out there, we test them, we use them, we see if they work with my own 
own money. And then if they work, then I recommend them to my clients. So emails is one of the many tactics we use. It just seems to be underutilized and underappreciated. Um, and that's why I'm focusing on it uh, these days. It is, it is a little bit of the redheaded stepchild. It really is these days. I mean, it just because everybody, everybody, it, I think it's, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's exposures. Like everybody has email. So they seem to think they understand because they interact with it all the time. They understand the power of it or they understand, you know, they, they get it. So why does anybody, you know, why, why isn't mine more effective? I understand how to use email. Yeah. And I really, I think the, the truth is that most people don't know how to use it. So what happens is they look at email just the same way that they look at social media now is it's free or it's virtually free. So, you know, people are following me so I can just talk all about me. And (laughs) so, you know, with your business, you're going to, you're going to explain very quickly that that's not going to work. No, it's totally, totally does not work. It doesn't work in personal lives and anybody out there who says that it does look that, you know what, you're not, you're not Apple selling the first iPhone, right? Nobody wants to know about you. They want to talk about themselves. So as we were prepping, um, getting ready for this, you mentioned risks of social media advertising. And I'm, I'm really curious to jump into this a little bit. Help me understand kind of the perspective around that. Well, a couple of things. Um, you don't own the platform. So, um, you know, pick a platform. So let's pick on Facebook for a few minutes. Um, I, you know, I, I'm on Facebook. I use it for business. I use it personally. I buy Facebook ads, but at the end of the day, I don't own the platform. I don't control the platform. And if my audience got up and left, I wouldn't be able to find them. Or if Facebook decided I wasn't a suitable business client anymore and they shut off my account, they'd be gone. Now, that's the extreme side. In what's really happening in today's world is there's lots of changes with what they consider acceptable advertising. So at a very small level, if you look at health and wellness, so you put up a picture for a client of mine of a lady standing on a scale, a middle-aged lady that was, I would say, in reasonable shape. She wasn't overweight. She wasn't underweight. She was a normal person wearing like, um, you know, long sleeve shirt and, uh, you know, shorts down to her knees. Well, Facebook suspended the ad and canceled the credit card because they said their audience found it offensive. Whoa. And I'm thinking, let me see. So I'm tired of looking at all these pictures of girls showing off their so-called necklace as they're, sh- you know, holding the video shot down their shirt. Yet I've got a, a woman who looks very similar to my wife that's fully close stepping on a scale. They said, well, standing on a scale offends people who might be overweight. Oh, goes so, too far. Because, well, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the platform, right, it's, it's the lowest common denominator. It always goes to, you're not in control of it. So all of this effort you put into it, all of the data that you should be getting out of it, all of that investment and somebody else is controlling, you know, rules of engagement. So you really are high risk, I guess. I hadn't thought about it that way. Well, there's that side because all people need to do is say that they find the ad offensive. You don't know who they are, but there's, you know, and I don't know what the numbers are, but they get a number of complaints and it's gone. And then eventually, you know, if you want to re-advertise on Facebook, you have to go get a new credit card with a new number and set up a new account. So we're not breaking the rules. We're not tricking Facebook. If you listen to guys like Frank Kearney goes, yeah, I just know. I just go get another credit card. I don't even, you know, argue with them. But that's the, that's the easy side. Where it gets tougher now is they're starting to make decisions about what sort of content's not acceptable. So people in the CBD space, which is a non-medical supplement. Sure. Um, people that, you know, Google just recently announced that if you have a drug and alcohol rehab program or system that they're not going to allow you to advertise with Google paid clicks anymore until they can verify the success of your clinic because they don't want to risk somebody seeing a Google ad, clicking on it, buying your service, and then not getting a good outcome. 
that, and it starts to limit. I mean, it just, uh, there, yeah, it, it's really a hot button topic. I mean, it's censor, it's corporate censorship at, at a level, but they have, I wonder, you know, I'd be really curious to know how many people have to complain about a woman standing on a scale for them to yank it. And secondly, who the hell has time to complain about that stuff? <laughs> Cause I don't, I don't know about I don't, you. I don't have the time to, I don't have the time to like literally lodge a complaint over something I'm seeing. Yeah. I mean, I'll report the really offensive accounts that I, that I don't want to follow and I, I don't want them hanging onto my account, but you're right. So it doesn't, it's not difficult to complain, but that's just the world that we live in, you know, and right now a big hot topic in, in the world of finance is cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Again, it's a banned ad area. No ads for any social platforms that mention cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. Well, so, I you wonder know, what the thinking is behind that. Again, you know, they're, they're thinking like I've talked to Google's team before because I do a lot of work in the finance space. And realistically, what they're concerned is that somebody's going to see the ad, click on the ad, buy or invest in something you're talking about, lose money, then sue them. So e-trade can't, so e-trade can't, can't, can't advertise either. Well, they might be able to, but you're, but to your point, they're looking at, you know, uh, risk mitigation and, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, we, we still use all the social platforms and we still advertise there, but it's becoming more restrictive. And what I'm saying is it's, it's really out of our control. And so, you know, that's, hence my point that if you have, you know, lots of followers on social, the best thing you could do in addition to engaging in with them would be get them on an email list. So something happens to the platform, your account gets hacked or shut down, you know, because Twitter has been shutting down accounts by the thousands that they deem um, as inappropriate accounts. It's gone. So you wake up in the morning, you go to log in and it says account suspended. Yeah. That's going to ruin your day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might, it might change what you can do for the next hour. It might. Yeah. After you get done panicking that your entire list of prospects and or customers is gone. I, I can totally see taking control of the data and being extremely careful. It's, it makes, makes great sense. So then, then we get to a point where, okay, so I've got the data. I build an email list. I noticed one of the things in the book talks about renting lists and this has been, I mean, I started my career in marketing, so we're going back. Man, I don't want to age myself too much, but we're going back 20 plus years when I was running, we're on marketing teams. And that was always, um, it was always a, a, a 50 50 coin toss. Like if you got a list that was worth, you know, worth what you paid for it. And I haven't been involved with it since. So I would love the perspective of understanding when it comes to list rental, what does that look like? What should people be looking for in terms of quality? What's going to make that, a, you know, a, anything that's going to help them reduce the risk associated with that approach? Well, I guess the first thing is to really clarify what list rental is. And there seems to be this confusion. So there's two camps. So people like me that buy media and would, would buy advertising from publishers in their email, with their email list, we call it list rental. Um, now in, in my world, I never see the data. I don't have access to the data. I just will sign a contract with a company, maybe like the Washington Post to have them send your marketing message out to their audience. So on the email marketing side, people have somehow confused list rental with purchasing that you get the data. So maybe a, a better, a better word moving forward in this, you know, this time in space is sponsored email. So you're, you're never going to see the list. It's not going to be loaded up to your email service provider, whether you're using MailChimp or Infusionsoft or fill in the blank. You're just buying an ad. And there's really about three kinds of ads you can buy in an email. You can buy a banner ad. You can buy a text ad or what I buy mostly are called solo ads, which means the entire content of the email is all about you. The only thing that's not about you is the publisher would say that this is advertising 
and they're not endorsing you as an advertiser. And if it's in the financial sector, they will put a disclaimer and a disclosure explaining who paid them and how much. So that's it. You own the rest of the real estate. And so we've done, you know, hard copy, um, hard sale where the email might be 15 or 16 pages long. They don't really care how big it is, but you control 100% of the content. And, and when you do that, okay. So let's, let's use that same kind of paradigm and kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit. So if I'm going to the Wall Street Journal and I do this and I send out the list, you said, I heard you right. You said 15 to 16 page email. Yeah. Help me understand. So is it better to do longer emails in that regard or is it based on the context of the person who owns the list? So maybe audience for the Wall Street Journal based on demographics and, and that type of stuff is more prone to engage with content of that uh, density versus, I don't know, let's say people magazine. I, I, I'm making generalizations, but do you determine first and foremost, the type of content, the depth that you want to go into the content based on the sponsor of the email, the brand that's sending it out? Um, yes and no. There's a couple factors. First is who's your audience as a, as an advertiser. So if we were to advertise for your company, who's your demographic, who's your exact avatar, and then we're going to try to find out where are they. So in addition to where they live and how old they are and their education and all that sort of stuff, what publications do they read and do they subscribe to? So are they, are they advocates on, um, you know, if they're health and fitness, are they signed up to a health and fitness list? So then we're going to look at what that publisher is sending out. So what does it look like to be a subscriber to that list? What does the content look like? What are the other advertisers doing? And most of the advertisers are doing banners and text. Not many are doing solo ads. And I don't know whether it's a lack of awareness or they just don't know how to execute them. And the second thing is, then what are you going to try to sell? So if you look at copywriters like the Dan Kennedys of the world, they said your advertising copy can be as long as it needs to be to get the job done as long as it's not boring. So I'm not, <laughs> so I'm not suggesting that it be 16 pages. Lots of times one page is more than enough. But again, it depends, you know, what are you trying to do? And, you know, are you trying to convince somebody that's, that's, you know, uh, say East Coast, if we look at what's happened the last week that's been hammered with a snowstorm, the guy sitting at home with a cup of coffee watching the hockey playoffs and he's going to get your email and you need to convince him to get dressed, get in his car and drive down the street. It's probably going to take more than a page full of information unless you're giving away a free house or something to convince them to take action, right? <laughs> right. So it's going to depend on you, your brand, and what you're doing. So it's less to do with the length and it's more about respecting the audience that's built the relationship with the brand. So if you are an avid follower of the, the journal and you subscribe to their list, you know, what are you used to getting in your inbox? What we don't want to do is have something that comes out that looks totally weird. And they go, well, that looks weird. You want right. to look and feel similar to what they're, they're getting, but obviously it's, it's advertising to get them to sign up or download your course or, or go to a webinar or join your email list or whatever it is. Okay. All right. So, and so I know I'm, I'm stuck on this, but 16 page email just, I'm now I'm dying to see a copy of it. Like I, what do you do in a 16 page email? Like how would you, first off, that's a lot of content. I mean, even if it, even if it includes a lot of, of graphics or images and you can't 16 pages, I don't know people that can be not boring for 16 minutes, let alone 16 pages. You really got to have some talent at the content creation end of this, I would assume as well. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And, and, you know, I'm not a big fan of that. And one of the things that we do with our clients, sometimes our clients come to us and say, this is the style we want. So in that case, the, this guy was hiring a writer and he's paying about 15 grand to have the copy written. 
And so we started putting in tracking mechanisms in the email so we could tell how far people read. Sure. And I went back to him and said, hey, dude, you can lose like 14 pages. <laughs> um, so reduce your copywriting bill. People, people are dropping off. Like we can clearly see this by the analytics. They're just not engaging with that much copy. That's, you know, you're, you're making sales and you're happy because you, you know, he keeps sending me money, but we can probably trim down what you're doing. So, you know, it's, there is no exact science. It's really about, you know, testing, knowing your audience, knowing your messaging, knowing what offers resonate with them and then aligning yourself with brands that have your best customer on them um, that are used to having communications from that brand. Excellent. And so when we look at that, it's not a tactic. Uh, Sponsored email isn't a tactic that I hear come up a great deal from the enterprise level. Like you always hear reps or managers of specific, you know, silos of teams or whatever say, Hey, I've got to go. They complain about the data. Like they want to go to whatever discover.org or zoom info or They go compile it off of LinkedIn, whatever it may be. Do you see higher engagement rates with sponsored email with those channels than you do through, through normal? And kind of what does that look like? Well, there's, you know, I guess there's three kind of ways to look at it. There's your own list. So, you know, what's the responsiveness in your list? So here's a, here's just a quick tip that anyone that's listening can implement immediately. The most important thing you can do with your own list is make sure you have a welcome message. And that in your welcome message, you tell people what to expect. So if you sign up for my list, I'm going to tell you, this is what to expect. I'm going to send you three emails a week, and this is what you're going to get. And the two reasons you do that is, number one, your audience is expecting it. Most audience are, are expecting to get a welcome message when they sign up for your list. Number two, that's going to have the highest open rate of any email that you ever send to your list <laughs> in the history of your list. So if you're not sending one, you're letting your audience down because you're missing their expectation. And two, you're missing a chance to tell them like, hey, you know, join me, follow me. Hey, I'm Chad. This is what I'm doing. In addition to getting, being on my list, we thank you for that. But why don't you connect with me on social? So I'm not saying social is bad, but now there's a chance to expand your relationship. So that's an easy tip that'll help you with deliverability and open rates. Then people expect that. So your second point was if you're talking about Zoom or that sort of stuff, often you're, you're scraping data. So then you're sending cold email because you have no relationship. These people don't know you. They've never heard of you. And there's a whole host of problems that come with that. There's first of all, look at the, the laws. So let's start with let's not go to jail. Right. And then, um, <laughs> right. And then once you get past the don't go to jail and you can become compliant, then the next thing is what, what does it cost you in time and resources to do that? What is the risk for damaging your, your sender reputation and your brand by talking to people that don't know you? And that's what I'd call the cold email space. And then the third area is what I'm talking about, which is sponsored email. So the subscribers on a sponsored email campaign have a relationship, a permission relationship with the brand that's sending them email. So they've opted in, they've accepted the terms and conditions, they're used to getting emails from them. Some of them might get an email two or three times a day, some might get an email once a week or once a month, but they're expecting it. So it's not a surprise when it shows up. So then it's your responsibility as an advertiser. Well, it's not your responsibility. Let's just say it's it'll determine your ROI if you pay attention to what they're used to getting and your messaging is congruent with what they normally see. And so when we do that, what kind of, are, are we seeing what 2X uh, increase in engagement on sponsored versus cold? Or do you have any metrics around that? I don't on sponsored versus cold, but I, I do know I've worked with some clients that have expectations of, of, you know, 4X ROI or 5X ROI, and sometimes as much as 10 times ROI for their investment in renting that data or having access to the sponsored email. 
And, and that rental, does it, is it cost prohibitive for small companies? I have, I, cause I have no idea what we're talking cost wise. Do they do it based on number of opens or people on the list or reputation of the brand or all of the above? Most of the above. And so I guess it really depends what you call cost prohibitive. I mean, if you're spending $500 a month right now on social media ads and you're getting no return, well then that's no return. That's a bad investment, right? Um, so cause people go, I do that cause it's cheap. I'm going, well, you know, how many sales you get from that? And it's the same is true with, with the email. So, you know, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck about it. It's just really comes down to business sense. So just think of sponsored email like any other type of advertising you're going to buy, whether it's an ad in a coupon or it's a flyer or it's a newspaper or it's a banner ad or it's a Google ad or a Facebook ad. It's advertising. So you need to apply the same metrics around, you know, what's going to, what are you willing to pay? So what's the lifetime value of your customer? What can you pay to acquire a customer? And then it's very easy to start making decisions of what, what sort of media would I go after and want to buy into. And do you see most of the, um, so let's, let's think organizational level for a second. So if we go to the organizational level, is this something that you see mostly coming out of the marketing department or do you see kind of the outbounding element of sales attempting to use this approach as well or both? Most of the stuff I see in sales is they're using tools to get email for cold email. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I mean, because if you're doing it right, your cold email is really coming from a separate email address and you're contacting one person at a time and it's personalized. You're not scraping data and blasting them. That'll just get you in all sorts of trouble. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I I think that both, both fit, but in terms of ROI, um, the paid stuff works, but again, you need to know your numbers. And, and the the thing that people don't maybe understand is when I'm talking about numbers, because you're saying costs prohibitive, the list, the access to list and the access to audience are massive. So if you run a pay-per-click ad campaign, whether it's Google or Facebook, you're saying, okay, I have X budget and the system will tell you about how many people you can reach. And you're, I'm doing is saying, okay, over there is a, is a stadium full of people who have put their hand up and said they have this problem. They need more sales or they want to lose weight or they want to run faster. They want to take strokes off their golf game or whatever it is. And there's the stadium. The question is how many of them do you want to talk to? Cause they've already raised their hand. They're already willing to accept an email. They already are interested in having their problem solved. And so it's a different approach instead of looking at people and trying to entice them with an ad to click and come to your site, we're going into their inbox, maybe at, at 100,000, 200,000, or a lot of the stuff that we do, we're doing like 500,000 emails at a shot. Wow. 500,000 individuals? Yeah. Ooh, that's a, I mean, that's massive. I mean, so if, just quick math. I mean, on the low end, if you get, you know, 2% engagement as a result of that, some organizations probably couldn't handle that kind of of return of response, right? They they may not be equipped to handle that type of engagement. That's right. So you're not going to run that. You know, I would never run that. I would run a test first. So I'll I'll give you a specific example. So there's a health and wellness list I really like. And the list is about 600,000 names and it's about 18 grand to rent the list. So it's a very well-priced list. Like I would consider that an inexpensive list. So, you know, are you going to send out 600,000 people at once? No, it wouldn't make sense. But what would make sense would be to do a test, send a 50,000 or maybe a hundred thousand, and test the list and see what the conversions are. 
and see what the responsiveness is. And then it's easy to go back and say, Hey, you know what? We, we mailed out to 50,000 and you know, they had a five or six or seven or eight or 10% open rate. And they had a 2% click through rate. And I got this many sales. And then you can go, that makes sense. I, c- I could do this again. Now I'm willing to go from the, I've rented 50,000 or I've, you know, sponsored 50,000. I'll do the other 550. Okay. Or I want to do. So you don't to have to buy the entire. Like you can actually, because I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of test, test and measure. If you can't measure, you can't improve on it, right? So, yeah. big fan of that. So I don't have to go if that list has six hundred thousand people. I don't, that's not the price point. That's not the barrier to entry. The barrier to entry is okay. Let's do fifty or a hundred. That's going to be less than maybe the eighteen k to rent the entire list. That gives me the opportunity to to test the water and, quite frankly, test my messaging. Yeah, and so what I would say is test, you know, find a couple lists that fit your target audience. Do a really small test, like find out what the minimum is. The minimum might be ten thousand emails, so do the minimum test, see your responses, and if you get ROI, then maybe do another test. Maybe just change the subject line and do so. You did ten thousand the first time. The next time you do twenty thousand, but ten thousand with subject line A and ten thousand subject line B, and so now you know that you got your money back on the first send, and you're likely to get your money back on the second send. But you're, what you're going to do is have some intelligence around your subject line, and then roll that out further with that list, and then look at other lists that have the same demographic people that are signed up, and then you can do a test with list B and list C and list D, and run you know you can have a way to scale up your business like ridiculously fast. Interesting. Okay. And so it gives you the ability to measure metric to a very specific audience. And it, I would hope anybody who's listening, I would hope you're taking the time to make sure that, you know, the content's where it needs to be. That can sometimes be science and art. Uh, and if we, (laughs) there's one company in particular that just will not leave me alone with, I think I was talking about talking to you about this on your podcast with the crappiest emails I have ever seen. <laughs> and I love it because that's, you know, that's uh prospecting for me. I just call the CEO say, Hey, we can help fix this. Um, but <clears throat> that's more of a sales. <laughs> um, I, 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 have, I have some of those lists too. I'm looking at people sending me stuff when, yeah, I have a solution for your problem because you're showing me your problem every day. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this is not the way you want to introduce yourself to me. I'm sorry. And especially <laughs> four times a week with the same inane crap. Anyway, so. Yeah. When we, all right. So we got that. So what about email influencer marketing? What's the difference? Cause we're getting into, I, I guarantee for this, for my audience, we're getting into a level of stratification that I think is extremely important for anybody to understand out there, but also requires a level of focus and thought that I do not believe email in and of itself often receives. So we talked about sponsor, you know, sponsored emails. So help me understand email influencer marketing. It's very similar, except for it's not likely to be a big brand. So it's not going to be the Journal or Forbes or Fortune or Fast Company or Inc. Magazine. It's going to be a celebrity type that's built a big following where you're going to use their their list. So it might be, and, and I'm you know I'm not going to name names because I'm not sure if all these guys have lists. But you and I and any you know probably lots of your listeners get multiple offers in our inbox that are affiliate offers. And what you notice is it's the same affiliate offer, but it's coming from six different people's lists that you subscribe to. Right. Right. So there's individuals out there that have built big followings of uh, email subscribers where you can joint venture with them and have them send out an affiliate offer, whether it's on a revenue share or pay them to send to their list. So it's an influencer in the way that it's an individual sending and not, not Inc. Magazine. Okay. And do you see, so, okay. So if you have Inc. or Wall Street, I mean, those brands have, I mean, those are pretty powerful brands, right? And they have yep. a tendency to capture attention, get eyeballs. Do you find the personalized touch 
of someone who is, is deemed as that influencer. Cause you know, everybody's always talking about, Oh, Hey, Coachella has basically become influencer central. Do you get more engagement from an individual level or do you see more engagement on the respected and trusted brand side? I see more engagement on the bigger brands and I'll tell you why I think that is. I think because the brands are so aware because they're, you know, they're major corporations. They're so aware of the importance of, of uh, treating their subscribers well that they don't flood them with offers. You know, uh, my inbox has been filled this week with a particular offer, um, but I'm getting it from everybody's list that I'm on. And, <laughs> and it's the same crap, right? It's like, Hey, I want to introduce my friend. He can help you do this. It's like, Dude, you cut and pasted the same thing that your other 10 guys did. So it again comes back to exactly, you know, what you said, Chad, come back to testing. So you need to have a conversation with them and say, Hey, so what are the last offers that you sent out? You know, what sort of conversion did you get on your side? So in terms of opens and clicks, and those are questions that you should, that you should ask and that these guys should answer. And, you know, they're going to ask you, well, okay, well, show me your sales funnel. I just had a call yesterday with a publisher that's got, I think they've got 10 brands and they want to get access to email. And he said, we never rent our list, but we want to, we want to do sponsored stuff. And I said, well, you need to send me your content. I need to see what you're going to send out. And I want to see your sales funnel because the brands want to make sure that it's high integrity. And if you're doing a rev share or a joint venture with a, an influencer, they're going to want to know that your sales funnel converts. Right. Because you're Absolutely. you're using their equity uh, with their subscribers by them communicating, and there's nothing in it for them unless you get a conversion. Yeah, and that's that's a level of vulnerability from a content creation standpoint that organizationally, I could see an organization not typically caring, but when you start dealing with marketers or, or the individuals that created it, wait, 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 what do you mean you want to see my stuff? Wait, what do you mean you want me to pull back the kimono and show me, you know, that this stuff converts? Come on, I'm 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 awesome. This stuff works. So I can see that requiring a level of quid pro quo that some organizations may not necessarily be comfortable with just from a cultural standpoint. Do you run into that often? Not with the big companies. That That's an expectation. I mean, those companies expect you to ask those questions. And often you can get a list of other advertisers that have used them. So the big companies expect that. That's just business. That's a smart business. And that's what one VP of marketing is going to say to the other VP. They're right. just not going to blindly wire this guy some money and say, hey, I trust you. I like your brand. Um, <laughs> gonna, right? Then it's going to be more like, hey, so, you know, tell me about your unsubscribe policy. You know, so there's, you know, we want to know that the brand is, is treating its people well because it reflects bad on you. So if I'm, if I'm recommending, hey, you should go do this with this brand and their servers are blacklisted because because they have poor email habits or poor reputation or poor list hygiene, it could blacklist your domain. And then you're going to be, you know, right. we're going to be having a, an unpleasant conversation because you're going to be saying, Hey, look, dude, I did this marketing thing. Not only did the marketing not work, but you blew up my domain name. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's an extremely uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> extremely. All right. So where, so where do we see the future of email going? Where are we headed? I don't know exactly where we're headed. I mean, I think there's more integration, like you're seeing email integrate with tools like Slack. We're seeing more intelligence come in, more machine learning, more artificial intelligence. So the the messages that are going out to people now are more tailored to what they want. And, you know, I think that some of that is a good thing because you're not sending me stuff that, that's not suitable. So you and I both like CrossFit. That's great. There's some people that are listening to this that go, CrossFit, I hate CrossFit. Right. Um, so, you know, we're doing them a disservice uh, and we're wasting 
wasting, you know, we're wasting uh, brain cells by sending them uh, an offer they're not interested in. So as machine learning and AI becomes more and more ingrained in what we're doing, I think that the use of email and its value will continue to increase. And it'll continue to increase as the social media channels that are afraid of, you know, uh, being sued continue to shut down and restrict certain advertisers. I mean, because I can still run ads for CBD guys all day long through email lists. And I can do, I can do, I can uh, do sponsored ads for cryptocurrency and blockchain all day long to literally tens of millions of people that are in the financial market interested in investing, but I can't do it anywhere else. Makes sense. Excellent. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We asked uh, all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. The first is simply as, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a serial entrepreneur, successful serial entrepreneur, people are probably always trying to get in front of you and try and capture your attention. So I'm always curious to ask our guests, if somebody who doesn't have a relationship with you, they don't, there's no referral in, there's no trusted entree or introduction, but they believe they have something they want to get in front of you with that's going to make a difference, solve a problem, start a sales conversation. What have you found personally to be the most effective way for individuals to get in front of you uh, and build that credibility and rapport? <laughs> um, that's a funny question. Um, <laughs> so this is good news to you. Most people do a really crappy job at that. Uh, absolutely. Which is why, yeah, which is why we ask it, right? <laughs> so, which is why we ask it, every guest. So I would say for me, honestly, connect with me on social someplace or subscribe to my list. Like I have on the bottom of my email list, when people subscribe, I have a link to my calendar and I say, Hey, do you want to have a conversation? Click here. I'll talk to you for like half an hour. And it could be about me helping you, or it could be just the two of us talking about our businesses, see if we're good to work together. I do the same thing on LinkedIn. People connect with me on LinkedIn. My EA goes through to validate the, the real person. And then she sends a response. And what I what I normally get are, are one of two things. I get nothing like no response or I get spammed with a, like a, a, you know, 500 word essay that's not personalized that they're cutting, pasting and sending to everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. What I get once in a while is once a week, somebody actually clicks on the link, goes into my calendar and books an appointment and we get on the phone and we have a conversation and the conversation is like, there's no expectation. It's like, Hey, you want to connect? Tell me about your business. What are you doing? So for me, that's the, that's the easiest way. If you respond to me on, on, on social and Twitter, some people go, is this really you or is this a machine or is this your EA? It's like, no, no. I mean, you sent me a direct message on, on Twitter. You commented, yeah, this is me getting back to you. If you want to take the conversation offline, I'm happy to do that. But people are lazy and they won't do it or they think, oh, he must get so many calls or he's going to sell me something. It's like, I can't sell you. I don't even know what you do or what you want. <laughs> I have no connection point. Yeah, that's right. We don't know each other. <laughs> there's, there's absolutely no context for relationship. I don't know if I'm say anything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice that if they listened to your earlier point, if they listened, you believe would help them hit their targets or exceed their goals, what would it be and why? I would say set bigger goals. Like if you think that all the barriers are imaginary, you know, the, the lineup is, I find the lineup is really long for the, for the $10 sales, if I can use that. So I'm not picking on the chamber of commerce. I was in the chamber for years and on the board, but everybody can afford $15 to go for breakfast. Get in the room with, with people who can write really big checks. The right. room is smaller. There's less people there. There's less competition there. And the sales process is exactly the same. The difference is instead of pitching, you know, a five figure deal, you're pitching a six figure deal. Go big or go home. 
<laughs> well, why not? I mean, if you really like what you do and you really believe that the product or service that you're offering helps people, then just step it up. I mean, I'm a big fan. Of, I don't like crowds. So, you know, if everybody's over there selling, you know, $5,000 websites, why don't I go over there and sell $100,000 websites? Because there's no line. Right. Absolutely. Well, and if you're passionate about what you do, it translates and you can, you can demonstrate the impact and the result. Those are conversations and you understand business and can speak that language. Those are conversations that are going to, they, they may be less com- in terms of qu- uh, quantity, but your quality, if you've got your act together, if you're doing all the things that, you know, being a professional requires, th- those are going to be the ones that net more. And I don't, I'm with you 100%. I don't understand why, oh, I just want to hit, like, I want my company to go, you know, this big this year or, you know, this big. It's like, come on guys, you can, why are you capping it off there? Why aren't we going bigger and actually working backwards into the things that are going to make us that level of success? That's a, you know, people say, well, it's not common sense. It's like, well, I don't want to be common. <laughs> so, yeah, I, All right. I I'm going gonna, gonna to attribute that to you, but I'm totally stealing that right now. Just okay. you know, write that down right now. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. Doug, if a listener is interested in getting in touch with you, LinkedIn the best way? LinkedIn or directly at my website. Excellent. Everybody, if you haven't picked it up, I highly recommend grabbing a copy through Big Lies. I'm halfway through it. Love it. And then yes, it is a little odd that is it about just email, but it is a very insightful read. Highly recommend that everybody pick up a copy. Doug, can't thank you enough for taking time to be on the show today. Hey, I so appreciate you. Thanks so much. The world needs us. You need people to be better trained for sales because there's guys like me that spend half my day looking for vendors. And if you would just phone me, you'd make my job easier. <laughs> All right, everybody. That does it for this episode. Check us out at b2brevexec.com. You know the drill. Share it with friends, families, coworkers. If you like what you hear, do us a favor. Write us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.